You're listening to episode two of Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. Today's episode will feature the first edition of the Robenheimer Report, where I share my thoughts on various prospects with you. Let's get to it. This is Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast with your host, Julie Robenheimer. Welcome, everyone. Happy October and first day of the NHL season. As Badger Bob Johnson said, it is a great day for hockey. Throughout the preseason, I have been watching a lot of the Flyers, Rangers, Islanders, and Devils and have received a mountain of questions about their various prospects, and I thought I'd put all my thoughts together for you in one spot. The question currently flooding my inbox is why does Ty Smith have to go back to juniors? Let me first tell you why I don't think he made the team, and then I'll clarify the rules of the agreement between the CHL and the NHL that prohibits him from being assigned to the AHL. Last year at the NHL Rookie Showcase in Buffalo, there were a lot of fans drooling over Smith's very obvious offensive talents, and especially his production, and declared that he was going to make the team as an 18-year-old which made me completely dumbfounded because, yes, he created a lot of offensive opportunities and was able to convert on some of them. But are you really going to overlook the defensive lapses in his game that directly resulted in three goals in that particular game? Especially the one where he got turned inside out on a one-on-one and allowed a breakaway to happen? To be fair, he has vastly improved both sides of his game since last year, but the concerns are still the same. At the NHL level, it is incredibly difficult to outscore your mistakes. In the WHL, he's able to get away with it because the competition simply isn't as good and he has the puck on his stick more often than not. And when he's able to play with that much confidence and strength and dominate the puck possession game like that at the NHL level, maybe he'd be able to get away with being weak defensively, but he's not there yet. It doesn't surprise me that he didn't make the Devils opening night roster. John Hines wants all of his players to be defensively responsible. If you're not, you don't play. Or if you do, your minutes are managed. It wouldn't in any way be remotely fair to Ty or his development to put him in a position to fail by keeping him in the NHL. He'd start with limited ice time and then make mistakes and get less ice time and potentially damage his confidence and stunt his development. No thank you. Send him back to junior. Regarding the nine games he could have played first, who would you send down or otherwise risk losing as an asset to make room for him? And second, as the saying goes, you can't win the Stanley Cup in October, but you sure can lose it. Every game in the season is important, including the first nine, because every point in the standings matters. That is how tight this league is right now. That's the whole point of the preseason. He played and practiced a lot with and against NHL caliber talent these past four weeks and has had ample opportunity to show if he was ready to play in the NHL, and he didn't do it. Will another nine games change that? I highly doubt it, and apparently the powers that be in New Jersey agree and have sent him back to Spokane. To those asking what the reigning CHL defenseman of the year has left to prove in the NHL, I say that you're asking the wrong question. You should be asking, what else can he learn to make him more prepared for the NHL? Because the answer is a lot. He can develop his leadership skills, which I might add are already pretty fabulous. If you recall during the Combine interviews before he was drafted, Devils management asked every player they interviewed to pick two guys from a previous team that they'd want to play with in the NHL, and just about everyone from Team Canada's U18 squad said tie and cited not only his on-ice talents, but also his leadership. 
So another year in Spokane will be an opportunity for him to grow more in that capacity, especially since he is their captain. He will be on a great team that's bringing back a lot of talent that went deep into the playoffs last year. So the hope would be that they could put it all together again for a run at the Memorial Cup this year and give him more opportunities to play in high-pressure situations. He'll also have the opportunity to represent Canada at the World Junior Championship again and likely play a major role on that team this year. Then there's the opportunity to play monster minutes in all situations and work on his game, especially his defensive coverage. Because like I said, Heinz would rather have him as an offensive weapon who is defensively reliable than a player that might just be offensively gifted enough to offset his defensive mistakes that wind up on the scoreboard. That doesn't move the needle. So there's still lots for Ty to learn in the WHL that will make him an even better player when he makes the jump to the NHL. As far as the specifics of the rule that prohibits the Devils from assigning him to Binghamton, the CHL and the NHL have an agreement that protects the competitive balance of the league and the talent pool for each team. As much as this is a development league, it's also a business, and these organizations like to make money, and having quality players that help you win games goes a long way to achieving that objective. If NHL teams had the option to send junior eligible players to the AHL instead, these CHL teams could be absolutely decimated for talent, simply picked apart. That's why they made this agreement with the league in order to protect that. That said, it only applies to players drafted out of the league. For example, Philip Zadina played in Grand Rapids last season as a 19-year-old because while he played in Halifax in his draft year, he was technically on loan from the Czech team he was under contract with and was able to avoid the rule. Similarly, Joel Farabee, who I will talk more about in a bit, was drafted out of the USHL as a member of the U.S. National Team Development Program. So even though Flint owns his OHL rights and he is still junior eligible, he wasn't drafted out of the CHL and is therefore exempt from this rule and can be assigned to the AHL as a 19-year-old. And just a note for those that don't know, the CHL, which is the Canadian Hockey League, oversees all three Canadian junior leagues. The Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, a.k.a. the Q, the Ontario Hockey League, a.k.a. the O, and the Western Hockey League, a.k.a. the Dub. And a little history lesson, this agreement has been in place since 1979 when the NHL lowered the draft age from 20 to 18, making many junior eligible players NHL property. And I also want to point out that despite some comments represented as fact on social media, this rule is not part of the CBA, which is negotiated between the NHL and the NHLPA. This is an agreement between the CHL and the NHL, and only those parties can change it. That said, 40 years into this agreement, Ty Smith is not the first player in this situation, and I highly doubt he'll be the last. But it does open the door for both parties to have a discussion and explore what a compromise might look like regarding exceptional 19-year-old prospects. Hopefully that answers all of your questions because I'm ready to move on to the next Devils prospect I want to chat about, Jesper Boquist. There were a couple of concerns about him heading into rookie camp. At 6 foot 180, he's not exactly a small guy, but he is a slight guy. And there were questions about whether he'd be strong enough to play in the NHL. Yes, he played with men last year in the SHL with Brinus, but on the bigger ice with the European style of play, there just isn't as many one-on-one -on -one battles or effort required along the boards and less checking. And the big question in this area was if he could protect the puck or would he be easily pushed off it? And would he be willing to battle in the dirty areas? And during rookie camp and preseason, he passed 
every single one of those tests with flying colors by showing an incredible willingness to compete for pucks and win many of those puck possession battles. Because it's only when the puck is on his stick that he can use his speed and skill and his vision and ability to distribute the puck and make something out of nothing. There were also concerns about his ability to do that against NHL caliber players. And while there's still room for him to adjust and grow in this area, he proved that he's definitely capable, which is why the Devils opted to keep him in New Jersey instead of sending him back to Brinus. Similar to Smith, there is not an AHL option for him because the terms of his contract with Brinus only have an out clause to play in the NHL. They can, of course, send him back to Sweden at a later date in the season if he's not getting enough quality minutes in New Jersey, but it is not a situation that he could be recalled from Brinus whenever they want. If he goes back, he's there for the rest of their season and could only come back for whatever might be left of a playoff run. Another reason the Devils have kept Boquist is his versatility. He is a plug-and-play kind of guy. You plug him into any line to fill an offensive hole, and he will play with just enough skill, vision, speed, and grit to find success, whether it's on the first line or the fourth line, and then, of course, their special teams. We already knew he could contribute on the power play, but he also showed during the preseason that he could be used on the penalty kill as well. He's working as the 13th forward right now in practice, but as soon as he gets into the lineup, I think it will be hard for Hines to take him out because he's just going to earn more and more opportunities as he gets more and more comfortable and confident playing at this level. Now, earlier I asked on Instagram which Devils prospects you wanted to hear more about, and Smith and Boquist were by far the most popular, but there were quite a few about three other guys too, Michael McLeod, Mikhail Maltev, and Patrick Moynihan. Over the past year, McLeod has transformed himself as a player. He used to be all about the speed, and at the junior level, he was able to use that speed to give himself more time and space to shoot the puck or make a play. Not so much at the pro level, compounded by the fact that he was easily knocked off the puck. After his first season in Binghamton, he's gotten a lot stronger, become more of a complete two-way player, something he really had to work on mentally, too, to make the shift from being the go-to offensive guy to the reliable Swiss Army knife. And he's also gotten a bit smarter, and he knows better when to use his speed, as well as work with his teammates better and not just try to do it all himself. He's shown a lot of maturity both on and off the ice, and I am excited to see how he continues to improve down in Binghamton this season, and what he does with the opportunity when he eventually gets called back up. I wrote a feature about Mikhail Maltsev before the start of rookie camp. If you haven't read it, you can find it on EP Rinkside. And if you have read it, you'll know that he is one motivated hockey player. He's got a lot of great tools, and now it's just a matter of putting it all together on North American ice. He might be the one player I am most interested in watching in Binghamton because I don't think it will take him long to make an impact. I think his biggest asset is his willingness to do the dirty work, his vision and ability to distribute the puck, and his ability to lift the puck in close to score between the dots and below the hash marks. We all saw his ridiculous highlight reel goal against Lundqvist in the preseason, and while it's good to know he's got that in his arsenal, that is not the kind of goal he's known for scoring. He is a very effective mucker, grinder, and loose puck finder, and I think he will flourish on the smaller ice. In regards to Patrick Moynihan, I had the chance to chat with Nate Lehman, head coach of Providence during the USHL Fall Classic last weekend. In case you didn't know, that tournament is crawling with NCAA coaches as well as NHL scouts either checking in with their committed players or trying to recruit more. Anyway, during our chat, we talked about Moynihan and his ability to accurately place his shots. Lehman told me just how impressed their goalie coach was with him after being the designated shooter for the goalie sessions. He said that he shoots it where the goalie isn't, 
And while that seems like an obvious thing to do, when you think about it, a lot of players fire it right into the goalie's chest like a target and hope for a rebound. Well, not Patrick. He's always looking for the open space and is accurate enough to be effective with it. Just another young stud to keep your eyes on in the New Jersey Devils stable of prospects. Now, before I move on to another team's prospects, I want to mention just how great Akira Schmid and Cole Brady did in net for their respective teams at the Fall Classic. I mean, Schmid allowed one goal in his game, and Brady had a 30-save shutout and went 1-0-1 on the weekend. But stats aside, they were both super sharp and in control. Very excited to see how they progress this season in Omaha and Fargo, respectively. Moving on to the Philadelphia Flyers and their two most talked-about prospects, Joel Farabee and Morgan Frost. There was a lot of debate this summer and in the preseason about which one of these guys would make the team and earn that third-line winger spot. Unfortunately for them, the answer was neither, as 21-year-old Carson Tarwinski had a very impressive camp and claimed it for himself. If you followed along on my Insta story during the ride up to Pittsburgh for the Fall Classic, I was with Russ Cohen and Shane Malloy, Russ said Tarwinski was his sleeper pick for a rookie that will make an impact. I don't know too much about him, but in the two games that I saw in the preseason, he obviously played very well, and I'm excited to see how he contributes this season. Back to the two you asked me about, I wrote a feature on Farabee, which can also be found on EP Rinkside, if you haven't already read it, and he spoke a lot about the challenges ahead for him this year. One of the things I think scouts appreciate most when making their off-ice assessments of players is their self-awareness. Do they think they're the best player ever and will dominate in the NHL right away? Or do they know that they have work to do and, more importantly, know which areas of their game they have to improve on most? Farabee must have passed this part of the interviews with flying colors because he is acutely aware of what he needs to do and has been putting in the work necessary in order to get better. He worked his butt off training at the Flyers practice facility in South Jersey this summer, and the good news is that he made a lot of improvement, especially in the strength department. The bad news is it wasn't enough to earn a spot on the team. My theory is that he is just so used to playing an elusive game because he was so slight at the development program and BU that he literally doesn't know how to use his newfound strength to his advantage. His offensive skills and vision are tremendous, but he needs to be able to get and keep the puck on his stick in order to use those assets, create offensive chances, and help his team win. I think he'll figure that out this season in Lehigh. Although he was one of the last guys cut, I am not convinced that he'll be one of the first guys called up. I think they'll let him marinate in the AHL for at least an entire season, get Boku minutes in critical situations, adjust to the pace and the physicality at the pro level, and then step into the NHL when he's 100% ready. Pretty sure John Van Beesbroek did a little happy dance when he heard the news because USA Hockey would love to have him available for the World Junior Championship in a few months. For Frost, it was a bad time to pull his groin, and he did not get to showcase as much as he probably would have liked. A missed opportunity magnified by Nolan Patrick's migraine issue keeping him out of the lineup and opening a hole that could have been filled by Frost. The good news is that, like Farabee, Frost will get a lot of minutes for the Phantoms and be able to work on his game without the pressure of playing in the NHL as a 20-year-old. I do expect him to be on the shortlist of call-ups should the need arise this season. I also got a lot of questions about Phil Myers and Cam York. I feel it in my bones that Myers will turn into a reliable top four defenseman with huge offensive potential in the NHL at some point in his career. He just needs to clean up the defensive side of his game and get a little more confident doing what he does best at the pro level. No big deal, right? <laughs> it's a tall order, but I think he'll get there. And I think joining Team Canada at the World Championship as a late ad will go a long way in speeding that process up. So keep your eyes on him. 
Cam York will make his debut as a Michigan Wolverine this weekend in exhibition play as they host the University of Windsor and in the games that actually count next weekend as they host Clarkson for two. He's a fantastic skater, has great vision, makes solid decisions, and is one of the few offensive defensive prospects that I don't worry about when actually defending in his own zone. He's just super solid and he doesn't make a lot of mistakes. He'll have a strong season in Ann Arbor and will be a key cog for Team USA at the World Junior Championship. Next up, the New York Rangers. Actually, before I get there, I want to mention that with all the debate between Jack Hughes and Capo Caco, you guys have apparently reached your limit of asking about them, or you've seen enough already that you don't have to ask if they're really as good as they say, because just one or two requests to know more about each of them, which is why I didn't talk at all about Hughes. Pretty sure he's shown this preseason that he can play with men and still be successful, and I'll be brief with my comments on Capo too. He is a very talented hockey player who will no doubt become one of the dominant power forwards in the NHL sooner rather than later. But for as much as we heard that he played against men all last season and was physically developed enough to step right into an NHL lineup without concern, I think many of you overlook the adjustment of doing it on smaller ice and at a faster pace in the NHL because that is where he struggled in the games I saw him in this preseason. As his Finnish coaches like to tell us, he's a winner referencing his gold medals at the U18 World Championship, World Junior Championship, and most recently the Men's World Championship in May, all in a 13-month time frame. Point is, he'll figure it out, and he'll be a huge part of the team sooner rather than later. Now for the Rangers player I was asked about most, Adam Fox. I wrote about him too for EP Rinkside, so if you haven't already, go check it out. Regarding his play, he thinks the game so dang well. There's a reason he went to Harvard, and it is because he is outrageously smart on the ice and in the classroom. He has a high hockey IQ, great vision, has the skills to do something about whatever he sees available, and makes solid decisions. The biggest adjustment for him will be the pace of play, both the actual foot speed of the game and how quickly he needs to make those smart decisions he's known for. He made the opening night roster, which I don't think is a surprise to anyone, but he'll still have a bit of a learning curve to work through, especially in his own end. But he should earn some extra minutes on the power play as well and set himself up for a successful rookie season as a blue shirt. I got a couple questions about Vitaly Kratsov, who is making his North American debut this season, and I have no doubt he will do well in Hartford this year and earn a spot on the shortlist for a midseason call-up. He's a big boy at 6'4", but still has a lot of room to grow at only 180-ish pounds, and he needs to learn how to use that frame effectively on smaller ice and at a faster pace. In terms of his skill, he is electrifying in a very sneaky way. He simply pounces on opportunities, and you're almost like, whoa, where did he come from? He uses his speed well and has great hands around the net with a super soft touch. I'm a big, big fan of his game, and he's someone to keep your eye on. Adam Huska is another guy you wanted to know about, and I'm going to come right out and say it. I don't think he should have left UConn, but there were two challenges. The first is that it's already been four years since he was drafted because he spent a season in the USHL before going to college, and the Rangers needed a depth goalie. Ask any GM, and they like having five goalies at the pro level. Two in the NHL, two in the A, and one in the Coast. And even with Huska, the Rangers are still one short. There was talk that he might be the third goalie for his native Slovakia at the World Championships this past year, which would have been a fantastic opportunity in general, but also because it was in Slovakia. But that didn't happen, and for good reason. His numbers have not been so fabulous. 
Now, instead of being the guy at UConn, he'll be fighting for ice time with Igor Shashorkin. And if you're anyone in Rangers management, you're hoping the increased competition will help push Huska's game forward and that he'll rise to the challenge. Finally for the Rangers, Keandre Miller, the stud defenseman at the University of Wisconsin. He is primed to have a stellar sophomore year and another opportunity to go for gold with Team USA at the World Junior Championship. There really aren't enough good things I can say about him. He was great last season, he was great at the World Junior Summer Showcase, and I see no reason why that shouldn't continue. A couple people asked why he didn't sign, and first, do we know that he was offered a contract? Second, he switched from forward to defense four years ago, and he's really still just learning the position. And Wisconsin's associate head coach, Marco Sigi, is known for his ability to develop grade A NHL defensemen. So the Rangers have no problem letting him marinate in college for at least another year. That said, if he continues to crush it like he has while shoring up the defensive side of his game, he might not see his junior year. He's one prospect that will be exciting to watch no matter which team you're a fan of. For the New York Islanders, I got a lot of questions about Kiefer Bellows, and I have to tell you, he never really moved the needle for me. He's a big body, doesn't mind using it when needed, but he doesn't really push the physical side of his game. He does have some speed and skill, but I find that most of his offense comes from being in the right place at the right time, which, to be fair, is also a key ingredient to success. But I'd rather see him do something to generate those offensive opportunities either for himself or for his teammates. So. I don't think he's a bad prospect, but he made a lot of noise when he left BU because he didn't like his ice time and subsequent lack of production. To get you caught up, in case you're not familiar, he scored 50 goals at the National Team Development Program and earned more than a point per game. So I can see how 7 goals and 14 points in 34 games at BU didn't sit well with him. And it seemed like his argument was supported when he then went to Portland of the WHL the next year and scored 40 for a total of 74 points in 56 games with the Winterhawks. But 12 goals and 19 points in 73 games with Bridgeport last year supports the argument that maybe he should have worked through his defensive issues and improved his pace of play at BU for another year to help set him up for professional success. In summary, I don't think he'll be cracking the top six of an NHL lineup anytime soon. He's got potential to have a long career in the bottom six, but he'll have to come to grips with that mentally and stop cherry-picking offensive opportunities and start working hard to create his own. Along that same line of thought, I thought Oliver Wallstrom might be following in Bellow's footsteps because he had a touch of lazy and entitlement in his game at BC last year, but he came to his first NHL training camp ready to go. He was a beast during the rookie game against Philadelphia and followed it up with a great preseason. There's a reason he was one of the final cuts from the Islanders, and that's because he made it a very difficult decision for them. In the games I saw, he just did so many things right, and maybe most importantly, he competed his butt off. Every shift he was hustling and totally noticeable in all the best ways. Odds are he will make his NHL debut at some point this year, but USA Hockey is crossing their fingers and saying their prayers that he'll be available for them at the World Junior Championship. I also got quite a few questions about Noah Dobson for obvious reasons. He's a very steady two-way defenseman, reliable, consistent, and you simply know what you're going to get when he hops over the boards. It is no surprise that he made the opening night roster, and now it's just a matter of carving out a full-time role on their blue line. I also got a request for information on Ruslan Isakov, whom the Islanders selected in the second round two years ago. I'm pretty sure this little spitfire is going to run the show at UConn this year. He is just a little ball of energy, a great skater, never stops moving and creating space, and is a really smart and effective playmaker. 
I have no idea what the lines will look like for the Huskies this year, but I would love to see him on a line with fellow Russian Vladislav Firstov because I feel they complement each other really well. Plus, they're already friends, and Ruslan was a big reason why Vladi committed to UConn. So let's keep that chemistry flowing! Anyway, Isakov is a really dynamic prospect that no one really talks about, so kudos to you, Richie McKenna, for asking about him. That wraps things up for this edition of the Robenheimer Report on Not Your Normal Hockey Podcast. I'm going to try and keep this feature on players I've seen recently, but if there's someone you'd like me to keep an eye out for, shoot me a DM on Twitter or Instagram and I will see what I can do. If you love the show and would like exclusive content, visit my website, julierobenheimer.com, and become a patron for access to bonus podcast episodes, a weekly video Q&A, and of course, written features. Thank you so much for listening, and as always, stay humble and be awesome. Until next time. This is the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the show and can't wait for the next one, be sure to like, subscribe, rate, and review the show to help more listeners find it. And go to julierobenheimer.com for more.